This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Who Says Life is Fair? The story of a loving dad, his life, his losses, and how he came out a winner. And the author is James C. Wilson, and Jim joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Jim. Good evening, and I mean, good afternoon, and uh, it's nice to be here. Well, this is a fascinating story. Uh, you're basically chronicling, uh, kind of reporting on uh, a friend you developed, uh, Jack Hamilton, and and what he went through. But let's let me read this. Uh, what you have written about what happened to him. You said, anyone who says that life is fair is mistaken. It's not. But that's okay, because it's wonderful anyway. This is a book about how that's true and why. And it's talking about uh, a great loss, uh, basically a loss of his family, and, uh, you know, how he had to deal with that and 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 uh, eventually find happiness in spite of the challenges of life. So, Jim, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you decided to write the book. Well, sir, I was born and raised in Denver, Colorado, lived most of my life in Alaska. I made my living as a technical writer, and uh, I now spend several months a year outside of Alaska in the southwest in the areas of Utah and Arizona, but uh, you know, most of my time is still spent in beautiful, wonderful Alaska. Um, over the years, uh, uh, it became obvious that I had a knack for chronicling facts and events, and uh, that's how I made my living. And as it happens, my favorite genre for personal reading is biographies. I find people to be the most interesting things on earth, and uh, reading about them has always been a matter of great interest to me. Now that I've time to pursue my own interests in connection with this ability that I have to write, uh, I've undertaken to do a little biographical writing myself. And as it happened, I became acquainted with and, and ultimately became friends with a profoundly decent and honorable man who, it turns out, had, had lost his relationship with his adult children, which is about as sorry a situation as you can imagine uh, concerning potential for pain and the sense of loss uh, but I was struck by how how could this have happened this this is a big strong husky looking man with a, a pleasant demeanor and a, a very nice way about him and a, a, an obvious decency the more I got to know him the obvious more it became clear that this wasn't somebody who would you know, expect to deserve to, to experience a loss of that sort and so uh, these these children have chosen to estrange their themselves from their father, and that that can be quite a story. Over the years, I've had occasion to observe any number of relationship breakages of this sort, where parents are estranged from their their children, and it seems that as often as not, the parent who was the abuser in the relationship is, is the one who is able to retain the loyalty of the children. And the explanation for that is has to be left to someone else because uh, it's not obvious why that would be the case, but it, it certainly is. And in, in this instance, that's that's true. And so to have found that uh, this, this good and decent and honorable man has been rejected by his children uh, because they prefer his their mother, who was the person who was responsible for the failure of the marriage, but uh, at least in, for, for the most part, of course, there's always two sides to every story. But right. So in she, any she... case, uh, the uh, time came for me to to write this man's story. But what I observed about him is that he's he's a happy person. He's he lives a, a rewarding and fulfilling and wonderful life. He's uh, he's happy. He's happily married. He enjoys. Uh, activities and every day is a new and exciting adventure for him and he's 
filled with kind of the verve and enthusiasm of somebody who loves to be alive. And I thought, now this is worth looking into because somebody gets, takes a hit like that and is still able to live his life in the way that he obviously does. That's uh, that's worth sharing with the rest, sharing with the rest of the world. And so that's the objective uh, for writing this book. So his wife appeared to be one way to the children, but was extremely the opposite with him. Um, yes, it was revealed to me that, uh, for the most part, the, the strife between the parents was, was uh, concealed from the children. It was mostly in which is, I guess, to the credit of both parents. They wanted to raise their children in a peaceful and, and uh an, an ugly uh, kind of atmosphere, which was, was, was for the most part done, but the you know the relationship that really existed uh, when the two were alone was one that started off just sort of, uh, of a mistake, but it became increasingly difficult as as time went on. Yeah, you call her one who has an angry mouth. Yeah, well, that's uh, that was the, the, what was revealed to me that uh, the person was was damaged by her her upbringing, and the, the book goes into some of that, that kind of explaining. In fact, it was pretty obvious uh, what, what the, the source of the difficulty was when you took a look at her family history. But she was uh, someone who imagined all sorts of, of problems that weren't there, or all sorts of of uh, evil intent and, and meanness and, and troublesomeness that really didn't exist. It, it was only in her own mind, and the, the, all that uh, ended up being the destruction of the marriage. So the father and the mother stay together until the children are adults, basically, uh, I guess the uh, ja uh, Jack stays in the marriage for the benefit of the children, but then he never has a, n never probably would have believed that the children turn on him. Well, the uh, protagonist in the story is given the name Phil, uh, although the, the person after whom he is patterned is, is, is and his name we've, we've given Jack. But yes, uh, the, the uh, marriage actually ended while the children were uh, a teenage, which uh, can often explain what, some of the hard feelings, because that's a difficult time for children, and when the, their parents break up uh, during those years, sometimes their responses are, are more harsh. But the, uh, the it's a fairly common thing. I've, I've known any number of men myself who uh, found themselves in a failed marriage or were living with somebody who treated them badly. And in, in the interest of uh, providing a dutiful, loving father uh, present in the home for the children, they stayed. And this was an example of that. The man, the story is that the, the marriage was obviously over very early and, and in complete failure by the time the children were very small, but but definitely present and a factor in the decision to stay. But that uh, the father stayed until the, the things became so, so uh, extreme that he could no longer stay in the home and had to leave. You call this a guidebook to exactly how such joy, appreciation of beauty and wonder, and victory are possible. Yeah, for me, the, what's the most important feature of the book and the value that it has for posterity and the contribution that it can make to mankind is it's an interesting story, but there are millions of interesting stories. It's enjoyable to read, but the real value of it for long term is the fact that this man has uh, experienced such severe loss and yet he, he lives such a wonderful life well he knows exactly why he lives that life he has a set of guidelines and principles uh, by which he goes on a day-to-day moment-to-moment -moment basis and he lives them uh, truly and to the utmost and the uh, are features in his life that, that contribute to why he's a happy person and they they can be practiced and taken advantage of by anyone who cares to do so and that they're offered in this book as a an opportunity for people who may have experienced this kind of loss or perhaps any other reason for feeling like life's not fair and life's difficult uh, that 
and, and sadness ensues that you know almost no matter what happens to you if you follow these principles and live these guidelines and and adhere to them and, and do them fervently life is wonderful life is joyful and and uh, it's a wonderful experience you have your list which you title principles for successful living yes so on that list uh why don't you share a, a few of the uh of this list that would be so important for us to uh, understand and apply in our lives. All right, sir, I'd be happy to do that. Well, uh, there, there are 17 of them, and that number is, uh, is relatively arbitrary. It uh, could have come out a larger number if it had broken down some of these principles into smaller uh, fractions, or if uh, it had combined some of them, it could have been a smaller number of them. But in any case, uh, one of the more important ones is uh, you, you spend your time looking for, uh, looking for, and focusing on the goodness in other people that you encounter. You know, there are a lot of people who spend most of their t time and effort in their personal relationships griping and complaining and looking for problems and making trouble and 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 uh, being critical of other people. And if you Find ways to to remove that from your from your lexicon of behavior, then, and you spend time focusing on what's good. There's nobody, almost nobody in the world that doesn't have something beautiful and good and wonderful, and they are interesting or positive or uplifting or whatever about them. And if you focus on those things and uh, tend to push away the the negative thinking that comes into your mind about people, that uh, that it's it makes life a lot better, and the more you do that with the with everybody you encounter, the better your life will be. And in particular, the more you do that with the people who are close to you, the people who are in your life a lot, it makes life a whole lot better for everybody. That's one of them. That's one of the more important ones. Another critical one is never make a commitment that you don't intend and or won't be able to keep. You know, people who go through life uh, throwing baloney in all directions and not doing what they're going to say and not living up to their commitments and breaking their promises and dishonoring their vows and so forth, those people really have very little chance at true happiness because uh, your own soul has a, has a very strong sense of your own integrity, and if you don't have any integrity, then you're not you're not likely to be a happy person. You may know how to have a good time or have fun or have a good laugh here and there, but your spirit knows whether you're an honest person of, with ethical conduct and, and good behavior and keeping your promises and so on, and it's key. It's absolutely essential to having a good life and being a happy person. Um, another important one is uh, learn to practice an affirmative approach. It's just kind of the old uh, positive thinking. Uh, I mean, it, it's valid. It works. Uh, one of the most pervasive diseases on the earth is depression, and the depression is the, the constant presence of negative thinking. And it's a tough one. The people who have, are clinically depressed or have a medical condition have the worst time overcoming this because it, it's almost becomes part of your personality to be a negative thinker and uh, everything's a downer and everything is hopeless and uh, nothing can ever come out right and so on it's it's uh, it's an illness but there are a lot of people who aren't clinically depressed or just downers who think negatively and and, and make their life worse worse because of it so uh, a positive outlook is essential, and it's, it's poss possible to cultivate such a thing and practice it. You know, successful living is a skill, and you got to work at it. you got to learn what the principles are. you got to learn how to apply them and then practice applying them and then make it a, a regular daily part of your life. Well, we appreciate you sharing, uh, Jim. Uh, it's uh, certainly... Uh, these principles of successful living, they are been, they've been proven, not only with uh, this character in your book, uh, based on the, this actual uh, person, Jack Hamilton. Uh, and we 
encourage people to uh, get your book so they can uh, understand the other principles and apply them in their lives and prove how valuable they are. Why don't you tell us how to get your book? Well, I have a website and a blog site. If you go to who says life is fair.com, you can uh, get guidance that the book is available on, on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Author House and any bookstore in the country can order it through the uh, usual uh, big time distributors. And also uh, be pleased to communicate with folks on the website or on the blog site. Well, thank you, Jim, for being with us on Author Talk. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Girlfriended is on Tugginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Try It This Way, An Ordinary Guy's Guide to Extraordinary Happiness. And the author is J. Michael Curtis, and Mike joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Mike. Good morning, Steve. Well, great to have you with us, and we all want extraordinary happiness and you have the secrets in your book right isn't that what this is about i i guess i'd want to fall short of saying i have the secret uh <laughs> my book doesn't offer any easy sort of sweet solutions what it does advocate is is hard work and personal reflection and and uh you know when i hear you and announce it that way it sounds like kind of a pompous title but i can i can tell you i didn't mean it that way I was trying to be serious and funny at the same time. Well, you say your book is a concise collection of opinions and preferences on small and big topics based on more than 60 years of life experience and close observation of the human condition. It's funny and it's serious. So, you know, that's I think that's a good balance, funny and serious. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I strive for when I wrote the book, both funny and serious. Well, I mean, the topics are serious, but I try sure. to approach them in a, in a way that I, I hope would be approachable for my readers so that they would want to read it. I mean, the, the last thing I want to sound is like some highfalutin academic because I'm not. How did you pick your topics? Uh, well, when I first decided to, uh, to write the book, I mean, it was just going to be a at first, it was going to be a how-to book, and so I knew I, I would write about how to take care of your motor vehicle and so forth. And and I just sat down at my computer, and I began to think, well, what are the things that are important to me? And so the very first thing I did was hack out an outline and 
And not all the topics were there at that first sitting, but most of them were. I just kind of thought, well, I care a lot about this. I know something about that. I've had some experiences on this and learned some lessons from that. And and so within about 15 minutes, I knew that what sort of shape and form the book would take. And that was when I came up with the idea that I would have the kind of easy and lighthearted material at the beginning of the book in what I called part one. And then the serious material, the topics that have, uh, I guess, more internal impact and so forth, uh, I decided to put in part two. And then part three is some miscellany. Okay, here's the first big question. Sure. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Do you really believe that people shouldn't wear sweats in public? (laughs) (laughs) I think I agree with you. (laughs) Yeah, I sure do. You know, I I wasn't the first to think of that, and I cited that in my book. That was Jerry Jerry Seinfeld to George Costanza when George was feeling low and... uh, um, you know, down on his luck, and he showed up at Jerry's place in some old sweats. And so that was back in the <laughs> 90s. But, you know, it's been 20 years since then, and uh, I don't know how it is in Lindale, Texas, but here in Sherwood Park, Alberta, <laughs> people do that. They go out in public, and they look like they don't really care. And, and that implies something to me. It's funny, but it implies something serious, too. You know, and like George Costanza uh you know, Jerry said, whatever, have you given up all hope? You know, that kind of thing. And and so that's why I put that in there. Well, I think that's a good point because attitude is reflected on the way we look and what we say and what we do. I mean, there's something a lot to that, isn't there? I I agree entirely. And, and so that's why I included it. I, I do think that the way we conduct ourselves in the world, the way we present ourselves is a reflection of our inner mm-hmm. state. It is. And of course, you know, following that, of course, middle-aged men shouldn't wear dark <laughs> shoes and socks with shorts. <laughs> I don't well, even think middle-aged men should be in shorts. <laughs> well, a lot of people think that. And, uh, kind of scary. I guess I'm one of them. You know, the white legs and the dark yeah. shoes and socks, it just, it just makes me want to look away. <laughs> yes. Of course, uh, as you've mentioned, caring for your motor vehicle. Now, is this a serious kind of what-to-do uh, kind of a list? Uh, well, Steve, I'm I'm far from being a mechanic, but I do have a, a vehicle that I'm really fond of. It's 14 years old, and I was the original owner, and I just take care of it. Um, you know, I think how you care for your motor vehicle is a bit of a metaphor for how you approach the world in general. And, and uh, you know, in the same way that you wouldn't want to go out well, maybe some of these people do, but in the same way that you wouldn't want to go out with mud all over your clothes, you probably shouldn't be driving around with mud all over your vehicle. I mean, mm-hmm. wash it. Right. Uh, but more importantly, you know, uh, a motor vehicle will last a long time and give you reliable service, and all you have to do is take care of it. Well, here's some more serious things. Uh, some of them are, are very obviously uh, uh profound and deep because we could spend a lot of time in which I hope some people do actually think about these things. It's like mastering your inner world. Now that is uh, obviously the challenge of life. Well, it sure is. And I, I, uh, I believe in that entirely. And, and I have to say right away that that was Stephen Covey's idea, I think, not mine. And I remember reading his book when it first came out, the Seven Habits book. And what a profound uh, book that was, and uh, Stephen Covey left a lot of uh, good ideas behind, but his, the first three of his seven habits were, were called Mastering Your Inner World, and I took that to heart when I read the book, and it's changed my life. Uh, what I've learned is that there's there's only one way to be happy and successful in your external world, in your relationships with others and in everything you do, and that's if you can master your inner world, and that's you know, it may not sound that difficult, but it sure is. First of all, you have to know yourself, uh, and then you have to be able to accept the parts that maybe, um, you know, you wish could be a little bit different because nobody's perfect, but we're all the product of our experiences and so forth. And uh, it's of utmost importance to a person's uh, equilibrium if they can master their inner world. And the, the, the problem is that it's hard work. It's it's a lot easier to eat too much or drink too much or buy too many expensive things. It's easier to do that than it is to master your internal world. And so 
as you said, it's, it's a profound idea. It's not my own. I'm just advocating what Stephen Covey advocated, and 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 that's to know yourself and and you know come to be able to reach a, an internal state of quiet. Everyone wants happiness, and you have to work at it. There's no, there's nothing you can drink or take, or you know. And so your book is filled with, like you say, uh, an ordinary guy's guide. <laughs> To extraordinary oh, happiness. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, we all struggle with these things, but you've just kind of shared it and put it on paper and your view of it. Exactly. And and that was what I tried to do. And, and I hope that my readers will um, enjoy what I've written. I mean, I, I've gone out and said some things that I, I know are challenging and, and maybe even controversial in some ways. And I don't ask my readers to agree with all the things I say. I just ask them to think about it and you know, I guess this sounds really egotistical, but I, I wish a lot of people would buy and read my book. <laughs> you know, not just because because I want to make money on it. I, you know, at this stage of the game, it doesn't matter to me that much. It's it's the fact that I think there's some interesting ideas out there, and I would love it if somebody down in in Texas or Arkansas or somewhere read my book and called me and gave you know and engaged me in a dialogue about some of these topics. I, that would be a real hoot for me. Do you really believe that we can or should distribute our money lovingly? <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely believe that, and and uh, I well, what does I, I don't that mean anyway? Long, but, yeah, what uh, does that me? mean? What does it mean? Distribute well, I'm our money. You. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I want to first of all give credit to my wife because she was the first person to say that, uh, and at the time, <clears throat> at the time she said it, I didn't understand it. Well, basically, all of us get into situations where we're going to have to pay, and I, and I give some examples in the book, but um, let's say you're out uh, on vacation, you're at a restaurant with your, your loved one, and and you know you're going to be paying, you know it's going to be a higher bill than usual, or, or let's say you've, you've got to pay for a repair on your motor vehicle, like you're going to have to pay one way or the other, um, and so you what I'm advocating is that people actually make a conscious choice that when they pay, they do so with a light heart and cheerfully, uh, because basically, since you're going to be paying anyway, why begrudge it? It's it's a very difficult state to reach, but that's an absolute truth that can set you free. If if you can actually spend your money in a loving way and knowing that that it's going uh, to be used for a good cause by somebody else. It's not something you need to cling to. It's it's an energy, and it's an interpersonal energy that we can pass along for greater good. So, yes, I believe that uh, that we ought to learn how to distribute our money lovingly. And there's an interesting corollary that goes along with that. Once you adopt that life choice, then it follows that you only want to animate with your money people and businesses that you want to animate. So it's it, it you, you don't do business with people that you don't like or trust. If you're going to be distributing your money lovingly, you choose to distribute it to people that uh, you, you want to distribute it to. So I should stop there because I could go on all day. Well, that's uh, very well said. I appreciate that. I think we all can learn from that advice and that wisdom. Now, Viktor Frankl, that is an overwhelming uh, image I have in my mind when I think about him. Yep. Tell us about far, Victor. Well, as far as I know, he was the maybe the first to write about it, certainly maybe not the first to think about it, but he's a survivor of a Nazi concentration camp, and uh, Victor was a physician. But he was the first to sort of conceive of the notion that there was a big space between stimulus and response and the first to really embrace the notion that we actually have 100% responsibility. We are able to respond, is what I'm saying. And so even in the most dire and tragic of personal circumstances, uh, Victor came to the realization that no matter what these guys did to him, how he responded was his choice. And it, it may not have been a, a big gap between stimulus and response, but he was able to live there and and achieve a state of dig dignity and equanimity that blows the mind under those circumstances and 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 so 
again, Stephen Covey in his book, uh, Seven Habits, referred back to Viktor Frankl as, as uh, his source for writing about the notion of accepting 100% responsibility in your life. Well, it does. Happiness, again, is a choice, and it doesn't matter what's happening around us. We still uh, have, I think it was said something about the liberty. We have that liberty of, of the way we think and the way we react. Uh, our freedom, physical freedom, may be restricted, but in Viktor Frankl's, Frankl's case, he was not going to allow that physical freedom to interfere with his liberty. Yes, exactly. And, and what an amazing uh, transformation that can be. And, and right. that, that, that man had such courage and dignity to be able to reach that state. Well, some of your other topics, you have setting up your campsite and starting <laughs> your campfire, uh, eating and drinking for your health and enjoyment, table manners, enriching your interpersonal life, raising kids. <laughs> let's let's talk about this one. This one is uh, probably one of the greatest challenges because it occurs within the walls of our home is loving and respecting your spouse. Yes. Well, uh, what would you like me to speak on? Well, you know, why did you include that? What What's your view? Okay, well, all I can say is uh, I don't claim to be an expert in that field. I mean, you can go to a, a bookstore and find a dozen books on that topic, uh, or at least on the topic of marriage anyway. I don't know if any of them is called How to Love and Respect Your Spouse, but I'm a veteran of uh, 41 years of marriage now, uh, and I've learned a lot in being married for 41 years, and uh, a couple of the lessons that I share in the book are that, of course, neither you nor your spouse are going to be the same person that you were uh, at the time you were married, and we absolutely have to have the, the internal uh, confidence and discipline to uh, let our spouse out of the box. I mean, our spouse might grow in a direction that uh, we don't, you know, want to share, or, or uh, you know, there's there's so many things that can happen in a marriage. And and like my wife Bev has said, you know, we've had four marriages or or some such, and they all have had different flavors. You know, so I guess the point is that you're your spouse, whether it's your husband or your wife, I don't think this is gender specific at all. They are your loved one, but they are a separate person from you and certainly worthy of your respect as well as your affection. And I believe that one of the keys to maintaining a happy and healthy long-term relationship is remembering that that other person that's sitting across the table from you having breakfast in the morning has her own set of life experiences and is getting bounced around in a different way than you are and she's not your right elbow. She's not an extension of you. She's not an extension of your ego. That is a warm-blooded, breathing human being over there with strengths and weaknesses and, and, and body aches and uh, concerns and all that kind of stuff. And they're worthy of your respect as well as your affection. They're, they're, um, by that, what I mean is, uh, you know, treat your spouse with the love that's inherent in that relationship and, and and I have seen couples that seem to save their their small minded and meanness for their the ones they love the most and uh, you know I guess I'm advocating that we not do that. The most important thing to remember is is to let that other person grow and to realize that they are not a, an extension of your ego they're a separate person and it, it, when that happens, you can see them as brand new and and, and accept them as uh, and love them daily uh, with respect. Very well said, Mike. Uh, you're certainly uh, more than an ordinary guy with those kinds of uh, deep <laughs> I'm feelings. I'm absolutely and... an ordinary guy. Just <laughs> <laughs> I'm a husband and a father and a grandfather, and I worked for a long time. Now, you know, I I don't anymore. I'm able to talk about things like this. And uh, that's the point I want my readers to get from my book is that you don't need to be well, it's great if you are, I guess, a learned scholar in a field to think about important things and, and make make decisions about how you want to live your life, to be conscious about it. We've been listening to J. Michael Curtis. He is the author of his book, Try It This Way, An Ordinary Guy's Guide to Extraordinary Happiness. Mike, tell us how to get your book. Well, I wish it was available in bookstores, but that hasn't happened yet. Uh, the book's only been out a short time. 
Uh, it's available from uh, directly from the publisher, Author Host, uh, from their website, authorhost.com. It's also available on Amazon.com, and it's available uh, through Barnes and Noble. Uh, but I think just online, uh, or people can get a copy directly from me. But uh, the easier way to do it is just order it online. Click, click, click a few keystrokes, and it shows up on your door a few days later. That's what's happened to the first few people that bought my book. Anyways, they got back to me and told me how easy it was. Well, that's great. Well, Mike, thanks for being with us on Author Talk. You know, Steve, I sure have enjoyed this, and I know you do it every day. I don't. This is my first radio interview ever, but it was a lot of fun. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you been laid off, fired, downsized, right-sized, or re-engineered out of a job? Are you unemployed or anticipate that possibility? Then tune in for Successfully Unemployed, hosted by Alan Sherwood, MBA, President of Sherwood Consulting Service. Successfully Unemployed will provide you a hope-filled and comprehensive approach to the job search process from an author who's experienced it all. Alan and his guests will cover all dimensions of a job search. Physical tasks, mental attitude, emotional health, even one's spiritual perspective. All must be integrated in order for a person to be successfully unemployed so they can then be successfully employed. This show is designed to help you move forward from job loss to finding or creating more fulfilling work. For more on Alan Sherwood, MBA, and the show, check out his website, SuccessfullyUnemployed.com. Then join us for Successfully Unemployed with Alan Sherwood, MBA. Thursday nights at 8, 7 central here on toginet.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, To Find the Way of Love, The Purpose of Our Existence, and the author, Oliver E. Dion. And Oliver joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Oliver. Hello, Steve. How are you? Great to have you with us. Uh, this is going to be a lively discussion, very relevant today, and relationships is key. You say this, human relationships are the most important elements in our lives, but our choices in shaping them don't seem to bring us happiness or satisfaction. We need to find the way of love, and that way of love has a tremendous impact, as you point out, even in our government's policies and behavior. It's uh, all kind of interactive, isn't it? Yes, because the government, you know, consists of relationships, especially our government, between, you know, three powers, the legislative, the executive, and the judicial. And the Constitution set them up as equals. And But unfortunately especially with the legislative, uh, inequality has crept in through the imposition of hierarchy. I mean, both the Senate and the legislative, the House, were set up as bodies of equals. But they're not really equals anymore because in order to do business, both parties agreed they had to set up a committee structure where most of the work is really done and, you know, a hierarchy uh, based on seniority of some individuals having more power than others. And that's, that's kind of a distortion of what the founders intended. 
Before we move on, let's find out a little bit about you, Oliver, and then why you decided to write your book. Well, I've been thinking about relationships for, you know, actually for 20 years. I was a Navy pilot, and I was first impressed with the relationships among pilots and Navy squadrons. Each of us had a certain rank. And when I joined the first, my first fleet squadron, I was an ensign. I was at the bottom of the rank. But there was no uh, inequality you know, among pilots because we all did the same thing. Once we were in the air, everybody was equal. And that impressed me. So even though the Navy is a very hierarchical organization, I realized that you know, hierarchy does not have to uh, rest on inequality. Later on, I had a career for 40 years in the hospital field where I was both administrator of hospitals and CEO at Stanford Hospital you know, for six years. I was a, not a doctor, and yet I had to accomplish results you know, and I was accountable to a board of directors, and I had to accomplish those results through other people performing tasks that I couldn't perform. So relationships became very important, and my success, I think, was attributed to fostering cooperation instead of competition. In the seven years that I was at Stanford, I don't ever recall giving an order but there was a lot of negotiations and presenting objectives to the rest of the organization, which then they responded to me. So uh, those two experiences were very instrumental you know, in my thinking about relationships and equality in relationships. Then I had another life experience, very significant, I was an alcoholic for 10 years, active alcoholic, and then I joined AA. And it helped me turn my life around. But I saw transformations of people's lives occur just because they went to AA meetings, shared the intimate experiences of their life. And in those meetings, there was total freedom to express whatever you wanted to, and equality of all members. There is no hierarchy in AA. And so that, too, influenced my writing of the book. In fact, I'll refer to it you know, several times as being influential on my lifestyle. Key well, to, a key to uh, freedom, key to liberty in a, in a country like ours, uh, you really advocate the importance, the bottom-line importance of love. Yes. Love is something that, you know, was not created by man. I think it exists independently, you know, of mankind. And But it does involve choices on our part. We have to choose if we want to be in a loving relationship. And that choice has to, you know, well, very often it's between self-interest and concern for the other. Too often, you know, when faced with a decision, we choose self-interest. As I've said in the book, except for family emergencies, we choose self-interest over altruism, which is concern for the other. But love involves always concern for the other. In a successful love relationship, there's a balance of power between the two parties and equal concern of each for the other's well-being. That's love. And a successful relationship that brings prosperity to a business, uh, the same principles. Yes. Uh, again, in the book, <clears throat> I mentioned that I was fortunate to work for Bill Hewlett of Hewlett-Packard one of the most impressive, you know, human beings I ever met. And neither he nor Packard, when they formed the company, were really interested in making money. 
they were interested in providing something useful to the business community and also you know, recognizing the contributions of employees who with them actually built the company into one of the most successful companies in the United States. They, from the very beginning, you know, they gave even monetary recognition to the contribution of employees. In several instances, when an engineer had a good idea, which legally was owned by the company, they chose to finance the development of a corporation to promote that idea until it was marketable, and then they bought the company back, you know, making engineers quite wealthy. That's the kind of you know, economic statesmanship and stewardship that I admire, and it expresses the equality of that all of us share just by being human beings. And, of course, we can take it right into government as well. As you initially started to point out, it's so important, uh, this balance of power and this equality. And in order to see someone that way, you have to have, there has to be a special feeling about that other person. You have to recognize how we're all in this together. Yes. Uh, the legislative and the executive, all they battle in our form of government all the time, they recognize the right of the other party, you know, to exist and to be part of the, you know, government of the country. That's equality. So equality doesn't mean identical. Oh, no. In fact, uh, <clears throat> another phrase I use in the book is that uh, there can be differences between equals. But hierarchy, which is the antithesis of equality, can only exist between unequals. And we have differences of all kinds. Differences of circumstance, of talent, of education, you know, history, uh, belief, you name it. But that doesn't mean we can't cooperate and work together, especially in government. So how do these principles, how are they relevant today? Well, how do you see things, Oliver? I'm concerned that the, you know, both parties, but particularly the Republican Party, does not recognize the equality of the other party. And that's why the uh, loyal opposition, the concept of the loyal opposition, has decayed. After World War II, when the United States became the richest, strongest economy and the most powerful country in the world, uh, it had enormous wealth and became very attractive to individuals, corporations, and even other nations, you know, to petition for economic benefit. The introduction of, you know, money into the political process is what caused that decay. decay. And it still continues today. In fact, in the current you know, presidential election, uh, because of the Supreme Court decision, which I deplore, uh, granting personhood to corporations and allowing them to contribute unlimited amounts of money anonymously, you know, is very detrimental you know, to our democracy and the whole political process. It amounts to buying elections and buying public servants. They deny it, but it's true. So relationships, as you point out, define life. Hierarchy hurts humanity. Only freedom and equality are essential together. Those, there's where freedom and liberty, they flourish with this kind of uh, equal relationship, and of course, that's based on love. Yes, and you know, I I believe that at the moment of creation, the fundamental particles which comprise you know everything in the universe, including our bodies, uh, 
had no relationships, but then divine power infused love into the universe, which caused the particles to form relationships. But no particle was, was stronger than any other. No particle controlled any other. And that's what I mean by freedom and equality in the relationships. And that's fundamental you know, to our very existence. And that's why I think I feel so strongly that it needs to be reflected in government and has been or was for many, many years in our government through the concept of the royal opposition. Recognition of equality and not trying to dominate the other party. So it's I think a... the Republican Party today is trying to actually destroy the democracy and the Democratic Party. That's deplorable. So everything comes down to a personal decision, a personal view of life, uh, how we see that other person. Yes. As I mentioned earlier, uh, it's always a choice between self-interest and altruism. Uh, is it my way or our way? And I think our way is the best. So we need to choose and achieve a better balance, and that will uh, really solve a lot of problems. Yes. Uh, one of the reviewers, I think it was... Uh, I forget the name of the review agency, but they described the book, you know, as being civil, saying civilization is ailing, and the disease is higher. Disease is hierarchy, you know, which is founded on inequality, and the cure is love, manifested through freedom and equality in personal relationships. And I think that very well sums it up. It does. It sounds like it does just uh, perfectly. Well, the title of the book, To Find the Way of Love, The Purpose of Our Existence, and we've been listening to the author, Oliver E. Dean. Oliver, tell us how to get your book. We have a website, which is www.tofindthewayoflove, all one word, dot com. And if you go there, it'll direct you you know, to sources from which you can buy the book. Thank you very much, Oliver, for being with us on Author Talk. Thank you, Steve.